continuing to go through the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're about to wrap up our study. In fact, we're going to look at chapter 12, verses 11 through 21 this morning. And then we'll look at the entirety of chapter 13 next week and we'll finish up next week. And Lord willing, March 4th, we will begin a study through the book of Galatians. So I'm excited about that. Some smaller books uh, that are just packed full of, of um, great truths about the Lord and, and great applications for us personally. And 2 Corinthians really has been an amazing book. We started it back in September. It's been an amazing book for me to teach through. I, I've been challenged in a lot of ways as, as I read through these different passages and I study them and I teach them. I've been challenged as a pastor in my heart for people. I've been challenged as a husband, as a father, as a Christian, as a man. And I hope that you guys have been challenged in your walks with the Lord as we've talked extensively about ministry and about serving other people, about opening your hearts, as Paul says in chapter 7, that he had opened his heart up to the Corinthian people and he made himself vulnerable to them. And in fact, they stepped on his heart and they beat him to a pulp, but he nevertheless continued to open himself up to them. And chapter 4, verse 15 has really been the theme of our study through 2 Corinthians. As Paul says there, for all things are for your sakes. It was for them. He had given his life for the sake of others. And that's challenging to me. It ought to be challenging to you. Because you guys, we are not wired that way naturally. The way that we are wired in our flesh is to serve ourselves. It's to look out for number one. It's to think about you know who. But Paul says, I desire to bless other people, to minister to other people. And so it's been challenging. And I hope it's been challenging for you. I hope it has changed you as it's changed me. And the principles that Paul lays down in this book are amazing. And this morning's text is no different. As Paul's words continue to challenge us to become more like Jesus. That's the goal. To become more like Jesus. So in our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through 21, Paul continues to defend his ministry and to defend his authority as an apostle. He really began doing that in chapter 10. And it became necessary... For him to do that because of these false teachers that had come into Corinth and had absolutely trashed Paul's reputation. And so now, in an effort to get them back to the simplicity of the gospel message, he's also trying to reestablish his authority among them. And so in our text, Paul really makes three main points that we're going to look at. We're going to see the signs of ministry. We're going to see the sacrifice of ministry, and then we're going to see the seriousness of ministry. So let's read our text, and then we'll go back and look at those things. Second Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 11. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent or super 
apostles, though I am nothing. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now, for the third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. But be that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ. But we do all things, beloved, for your edification. For I fear lest, when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before, and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. And so the first thing that we want to look at this morning in our text is the signs of ministry. Verses 11 through 13. As Paul again says to them, I have become a fool in boasting. I don't want to boast to you. I certainly don't want to boast about myself to you, but it's become necessary because of this trashing of my reputation among you. He says, you've compelled me to do it. I've been forced into this. For I ought to have been commended by you. Paul should have been spoken well of. He should have had a good reputation. His behavior among them was impeccable. And yet, because of these false teachers, they've bought in to lies about Paul. And he goes on to tell them that he had really demonstrated the signs of what real ministry is among them. He says, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance. So not only were there signs, but there was fruit. Perseverance is patience. Paul says, I demonstrated signs of what ministry is, of what an apostle is, of what a pastor is to you. These false teachers haven't done that, but I have. And he says, and I bore fruit among you. We were patient with you. We bore with you. He says, there were wonders done among them. These are amazing demonstrations of the power of God. Which brings up an interesting point, and that is, is that in our ministry, in our service, in our life, you guys, 
there ought to be amazing demonstrations of the power of God in us. Now, I'm not talking about the miraculous necessarily. I'm not talking about, you know, that people are going to be healed or that the blind are going to see or that the dead are going to be brought back to life as a result of, you know, you walking through the lunchroom or something. I'm not saying that. What I'm talking about is that God wants to show Himself to others through us, through powerful demonstrations. Mighty works, He says here. Mighty works are things that only God can do. In other words, people ought to look at our lives and they ought to see Jesus in us. They ought to see the signs of ministry. They ought to see the signs of the Holy Spirit in our life. Because you see, you guys, when the Holy Spirit resides in our life, which the Bible says, if you know the Lord, He does. If you've given your life to the Lord, then the Holy Spirit is residing in you. And if the Holy Spirit is residing in you, there's going to be change. There has to be. Wholesale change. There will be fruit. The Bible talks about the fruits of the Spirit. The love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and self-control. These things happen because of who we are in Christ. Because of the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us. It's just like an apple tree or a pear tree or a cherry tree or an orange tree. They bear those fruits. Not because they work really hard at it. Not because they're forced into it. It's because it's a natural byproduct of what they are as a tree. They bear fruit. And you guys, God wants to show Himself in mighty works, in demonstrations through our life. He wants people to look at us and to see Him. To see things that only God can do. Because you see, we talk about demonstrations and we talk about powerful works of God and automatically our mind goes to the miraculous, you know, things that, that maybe you see on TV. People being lifted out of wheelchairs and, and the blind receiving sight and those kind of things. That's automatically we think, well, I don't do those things and so I must not have mighty works of God demonstrated through my life. And that's just not true. Because the mighty works of God that I think God wants to do in us on a daily basis are things like loving our wives. Loving our husbands. Submitting to our employers. Not complaining about tough situations in our life. Having joy amidst difficult circumstances. Having patience with your kids. Those are amazing demonstrations. Those are mighty works that God wants to do in you. So that other people look at your life and they'll go, wow, I can't believe the way they're handling that. Or man, I can't believe that they didn't lash back at me in anger after I said what I just said to them. Or your boss thinks, I can't believe that 
you're not complaining when I'm asking you to do that. Everybody else complains. You're the only one that doesn't complain. Or your employers think, or your employees think, man, you really treat me well, and, I, and I'm not even that good of an employee. You see what I'm saying? These are amazing demonstrations of the power of God in our life. These are things that God wants to do. Mighty works that only He can do. See, people should look at our lives and say, you know what? There's something different about him or her. Only God could do that. Only God could be doing that particular work through that person. And I think sometimes, you guys, those are even more powerful demonstrations of the presence of God in our life than any of the other things that we might think about. And I think we need to look at our lives. We need to ask God to search our hearts and we need to say, Lord, am I bearing fruit? Is my life bearing fruit for you? And if it isn't, there's a couple things. One is, maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Him. Because if the Spirit is in you, you're going to bear fruit. Now, are you always going to bear fruit? Are you going to do it perfectly? No. A lot of times we bear fruits of the flesh. Some of these things Paul talks about here and that he talks about in Galatians 5 as he compares the fruits of the Spirit to the fruits of the flesh. We have those things. Sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we lash out. We lust. We're prideful. We say hurtful things. We're not patient. But, there ought to be the fruits of the Spirit. There ought to be a battle going on, you see. If there's not a battle going on, in other words, if we're just practicing the fruits of the flesh and there's no conviction and there's no work of the Spirit, then you have to wonder, do I have the Spirit? Am I saved? And the other thing is maybe you say, yeah, I know I know the Lord. I believe that I do. I know the Spirit's in me, but I'm not seeing the fruit. Well, John chapter 15 talks about the fact that if we abide in Him and His Word abides in us, we will bear much fruit. Maybe you're not abiding in Him. Maybe you're not plugged in. Maybe you need to let the Word of God abide in you richly. You need to get back to that place where your home is in Christ. And allow Him to flow through you powerfully, showing forth mighty works, signs and wonders. Not necessarily the things that our mind automatically goes to, but things that people will look at us and say, I see Jesus. Those are signs of ministry. Those are signs that God is at work. And what I love here is that Paul says, in nothing was I behind those super apostles. Or in the New King James, those imminent apostles. He wasn't inferior to them, is what he's saying. They've exalted and elevated themselves above me, but they're not above me, is what Paul is saying here. But then he says, though I am nothing. And the basic idea of what Paul is saying here is a very important principle for us to understand. We need to understand this principle, you guys, what Paul is communicating by saying, 
In nothing was I behind the super apostles, though I am nothing. The basic idea is that in our own strength, we are nothing. We can do nothing. We can accomplish nothing. In fact, John 15, 5 says just that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, I mean, I've done a lot of things apart from the Lord. Nothing of any eternal significance. We can do a lot of stuff, but it won't amount to anything eternally. That's why Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven. In other words, have an eternal focus. Our life should count. That's what it's all about. That our life would count for something. That we're not just pursuing temporal things, but we are pursuing eternal things. Things that matter. And in order to do that, in order for our life to count eternally, we have to rely on His strength. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And that's what Paul is communicating here, is that in our strength, we are nothing, as he says, and we can do nothing. But, through Christ, we can do all things. Philippians 4.13 So you see the spiritual dichotomy there is that apart from Christ, nothing. We can do nothing. But with Christ, we can do all things. So we shouldn't be launching out to do these powerful demonstrations. We shouldn't be setting out to do things for the Lord in our own strength. But we also shouldn't be intimidated by the things that God might have for us. See? Because like Paul says, they weren't superior to me. These false teachers, they have hopefully the same spirit at their disposal that I do. And so whatever God's asking you to do, maybe God is asking you to share with that coworker. You're not an evangelist. You're not a pastor. Maybe you're not that good with words. But the thing is, God has given you this opportunity. You know it's from Him. You know you're supposed to do that. And here's the thing. Apart from Him, you can't do it. But with Him, you can do all things. And you have the same Spirit that I do. You have the same powerful Spirit residing in you that Billy Graham does. And so, don't be intimidated by what God is asking you to do. But also, don't think that you can do it apart from Him. That's an amazing principle for us to understand. Whatever God is asking you to do, He'll give you the power to do it. But if you begin to think it's about you, then you'll soon find out that you can't do it. In verses 14 through 19, Paul talks about the sacrifice of ministry. These are really my favorite verses in this section as Paul begins to talk about the things that he had sacrificed for them. And you guys, ministry is a sacrifice. As we've talked about at great length, that real ministry is giving yourself away. For the sake of other people. And he says, for the third time I am ready to come to you. So he's wanting to make another trip to Corinth. 
to minister to these people, which again, I would have written these people off a long time ago. Maybe I would have sent them a short note, nothing like he wrote here, that just said, you know what? You guys are the most arrogant, self-centered, carnal people I've ever encountered. Have a nice life. You know, that's probably what I would have wanted to say to these people. Just like good riddance. But Paul writes this amazing letter to them. And then he says, I want to come to you again. I want to bless you. And I don't want to be a burden to you, Paul says. Because I seek you, not yours. He says, for I do not seek yours, but you. In other words, I'm not seeking what you can give me. I'm seeking what I can give you. Paul didn't want to take from them. He wanted to give to them. And he uses the illustration of a parent that with our children, we don't take from them, we give to them. They're not supposed to support us, we support them. Which to me brings up an amazing aspect and characteristic of Jesus. As we read the Gospels and we read the life and ministry of Jesus, we see that he was constantly giving himself away to people that could offer him nothing in return. Has that ever struck you? That Jesus is constantly giving himself and ministering to people that had nothing to offer him in return? I mean, what kind of notoriety was a tax collector going to bring to Jesus? If anything, it made him look bad. People hated tax collectors. And yet, hey Zacchaeus, come on down, I want to go to your house today. What kind of notoriety is a prostitute going to bring to Jesus? Or what can she give him in return? Or how about the woman at the well who was an outcast, who had been married five times and was living with a man who wasn't her husband, not to mention she was a Samaritan? How about Mary Magdalene, who was riddled with demons? How about Legion on the other side of the sea? How about the lepers that nobody wanted to have anything to do with, and yet they knew that Jesus would minister to them? How about the woman with the issue of blood, who for 12 years couldn't find any solution to her problem, and yet she knew if she could just get to Jesus, He would help her. The people that could have offered something in return to Jesus, he alienated them and called them out on the carpet time and time and time again. They were the ones that could have thrust him into the spotlight. They were the ones that could have given him something in terms of worldly possessions. And yet they were the ones that Jesus offended constantly. And the people that could offer him nothing in return, Jesus poured out his life for them. It's amazing. And Paul is doing the same for these people in Corinth, and yet the people in Corinth really could have offered him something in return. This was an affluent church. This was a powerful city. These were intelligent people. These were people that could have offered something to Paul, and yet that wasn't his motivation 
And that wasn't his focus at all. He said, I came to you not because I wanted something from you, but because I wanted to give something to you. And I laid my life down for you. Verse 15 is amazing. I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. The more he gave to them, the less was reciprocated back to him. Just like Jesus. The more he gave, the less he was loved. The very men that Jesus poured his whole life into, they abandoned him at the cross. The very people that Jesus was dying for on the cross were mocking him and screaming obscenities at him. The very people that supposedly wanted to crown him king a week later were shouting crucify him. The more Jesus loved the people, the more they hated him. And you guys, that is part of ministry. And if you want to truly have a ministry that will count for eternity, there are times where you're going to feel like you're giving and giving and giving and nothing's coming back to you in return. In fact, the people that you're ministering to just seem to be taking your heart and stomping up and down on it. And what happens typically in those situations? People quit. This isn't worth it. I'm burnt out. But Paul says, I will very gladly. Very gladly. He wasn't dragging his feet. This wasn't begrudging. He wasn't complaining about it. He says very gladly. It reminds me of Jesus in Luke 22 as he's about to eat the Passover meal with his disciples, which would usher in his betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion. What does he say? Man, I've been dreading this day for about 33 years. No. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. Earnestly desired. That's not what I would have been saying. I would have been like, man, the day has come, you guys. And I guess there's no avoiding it. I prayed in the garden and, you know... It's just, I don't know. I I think that I'm going to have to do this. And Jesus says, I earnestly have desired this. Paul says, very gladly, I want to spend and be spent for your souls. And notice that it's for your souls. Paul wasn't just pouring out his life. Paul wasn't taking this abuse just for the heck of it. There was a purpose. It was for their souls. And you guys, if you find that you're giving your life away to somebody, if you find that you're sacrificing for someone and that you're pouring into somebody, but it's not for their souls. In other words, it's not for eternity. It's not spiritually. You might want to find somebody else to pour into. You might want to find somebody that it's going to count for their souls. See, Paul wasn't just wasting his time with these people. This was a spiritual focus that he had with them. The sacrifice of ministry. 
ministry is not for the faint of heart. Giving your life away to somebody else is not for people that want something in return. If we go into service for the Lord expecting something in return, we'll be burnt out when that doesn't happen. Hey, there's nothing more rewarding than ministry, than serving God. There's nothing more rewarding than that. But sometimes it's the most heart-wrenching experience that you'll ever go through. And it's in those times that you earn your stripes. It's in those times that you find out why you're doing what you're doing. And you guys, I'm not talking about full-time ministry. I'm talking about all of us. These verses should describe all of us because this is our calling as Christians to give our life away. Again, we're not wired that way. Our flesh does not resonate with these verses. This doesn't make sense to us. This flies in the face of everything I've ever been taught. Maybe even what your parents taught you. But it's time for us to start to see the way Jesus lived His life and start to see the way the men that had been captured by Jesus lived their lives. And they lived it for the sake of other people. Gladly being spent for their souls. When was the last time that we were gladly spent for somebody else? Paul moves on to talk about the seriousness of ministry. He says that he wants to come to them, but he's fearing that when he comes, he'll find them in a state that they wouldn't want him to find them in. In other words, that he'll find them in their sin. You know that this church in Corinth was a very carnal church. They were a church that had a lot of gifts, a lot of manifestation of the Spirit going on. They had lively services that we would look to and go, man, those people really love the Lord. But then, in their daily lives, they were carnal and fleshly, and they had these fruits of the flesh flowing forth contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions and backbitings and whisperings and conceits and tumults. These were the things. And Paul says, I fear that when I come to you, this is what I'm going to find. I'm going to find you guys pursuing selfish ambitions. I'm going to find you guys divided. I'm going to find you guys screaming and yelling at each other and lusting after other people and Involved in sexual immorality. I don't want to find that. In fact, I fear for that. Not only does he fear, but then in verse 21, he says, I mourn. He says, I'm fearing that I'm going to come to you and that I am going to have to mourn for you because you have not repented. Now, when I read these verses, I'm challenged in how I deal with people that are caught up in sin. See, I think it's very obvious to us that what this is, what these sins are. And we could sit here and we could talk about how horrible the world is 
And we could talk about what each of these sins are and how they can be manifested. But what an absolute waste of time. Because you know what these things are. We're very familiar with them. But how do we treat people who are caught up in these things? Because it's very easy for us as the church to get this sort of superiority complex that we're better than other people. It's very easy for us when people get caught up in these things that maybe we're our friends, maybe they used to go to church with us, and we get frustrated and irritated with them. And we just want to write them off. You know what? Forget you. Tired of dealing with you. Go to hell for all I care. But that wasn't Paul's heart. Paul says, I feared for you. I mourned for you. What's our heart for people that are caught up in sin? Because you guys, it won't be condemnation or judgment that leads people back to the Lord. That will just alienate them more. What it will be is compassion, humility, tears, an arm around a shoulder, an understanding ear. Not to accept what they're doing. That's not what they need. Not to tell them that they're okay. Not to tell them that it's fine. We need to speak the truth in love. But they ought to know that we love them. That we accept them. That we aren't turning our back on them. Just like Jesus did with the woman who was caught in adultery. If anyone could have thrown a stone, it was Jesus. He was perfect. If anyone could have judged, it was Jesus. And yet as all these men are there ready to Throw stones. Jesus said, let the one without sin be the first one to throw a stone. And then he began to write on the dirt and they left from the oldest to the youngest. And Jesus said, woman, where are those accusers of yours? They're gone. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He loved her. He was there for her, but then he told her, go and sin no more. See, it wasn't just like, oh yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. No, there needed to be repentance. There needed to be change. And we can communicate that to people, but in a loving way. And maybe you have a friend who's caught up in a sin, or maybe somebody that you know, and and you just wanted to write them off. My encouragement to you is, have the heart of the prodigal son's father, who was there with a ring to place on his finger, a new coat to put on him, new shoes for his feet, killing the fatted calf, having a feast, bringing him back home. That ought to be what we want for people, to bring them back home. Don't give up. Don't be frustrated and irritated with people. Show them the love of Christ. Maybe you are caught up in a sin. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. And you think, man, I I don't want to admit it. I don't want to talk about it. Because I don't think I'll be accepted. And I hope that you know 
that we're here to love you and to accept you and to bring you to the throne of grace in your time of need. And so however that applies to you, I hope that you see Jesus and His grace and His love. And so as the worship team comes back up to lead us in a closing song, I want to invite you just to have God search your heart. Maybe you need to to get right with the Lord today. Maybe you've got a friend, family member who's caught up in a sin and, and you need your heart put back in the right place regarding them. If you need prayer this afternoon, we'd love to pray with you. Come up and and we'd love to just take those things to the Lord. Why don't we stand, you guys, and, and sing this closing song?